Take your Bible, if you would please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we did our reading just momentarily. I certainly appreciate so very much the, uh, the opportunity to gather with you this evening. I want to kind of speak to you tonight about attributes of God's servants. And uh, some of the things when I remember years ago, I was um, sitting on the platform at Howells Anderson trying to kind of think just for a few months. I'd been there maybe two or three years as the chancellor at the time. And tried to ask myself, what are we trying to accomplish? And the Lord drew my heart to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, where the Bible just says, from Apostle Paul to Timothy, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of a living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Really, he just said, I, I want you to learn how to behave yourself as a servant of Christ in the church. And then he gives him six ways to do that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, number one, keep your doctrine sound. The word sound means hygiene, clean, keeping our doctrine clean. Number two, making prayer and your walk with God a priority. Walk with the Lord. Make prayer a priority. When I look at the students and I'll look at them in their eyes again and, and right behind this wall on Friday morning, Lord willing, at about 9.30 or so, and I look into the eyes of young people, I, I wonder, number one, I want them to have a, a heart that says, I want my doctrine to be clean. I want them to know that prayer and their walk with God is their most passionate responsibility. Number three, chapter three says you ought to reach people when disciple and train others. There's no success without successors. And I, one of the things I love about Howells Anderson College, we have a lot of problems, a lot of things I wish were better. And I certainly would love to be able to do, you know, sometimes I tell them the biggest room in this church is, is not this building, it's a room for improvement. <laughs> but I, I also want to young people learn how to win the lost, disciple the saved. Nothing thrills my heart more than to, to see in, on a Sunday night before church, uh, a young person, 19 years old, discipling someone in the hallways of our church. Or telling me, I met someone this week in McDonald's on Saturday afternoon. We're going to go through lesson level two, lesson six, or whatever. They're going through that, putting time into helping people grow and developing others. I was watching a young man just a few years ago, graduate from our college. He's one of our division leaders in our church, but in our, in our ministry. But I was seeing him, one, one of the bus captains, they're going off and into the ministry. And uh, this, this Sunday was their last Sunday. And next Sunday, there's another young man that's been learning the ministry who's going to take his place. And this week he went house by house visiting all the, all the, the, uh, the, the um, riders and saying, this is Mr. So-and-so, this is Brother So-and-so, he's going to be your new bus captain. And now there's a handoff instead of a fumble because someone has trained somebody. Learning to do that. Chapter 4 is to be a good example. Let no man despise you to be an example to believer. Chapter 5 treating people right, not being harsh, unkind, negligent, irresponsible in our relationships. And then lastly, handling our finances with wisdom. You pray that God will help us to do that. But then I'd like to just take a few moments and talk to you a little bit about 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, there's a little bit of time there. It looks like possibly Paul might have been freed from his his uh, hired house where he was being guarded and given a little bit of time to go somewhere else and minister. But he ended up back in Rome in the Mamertine prison. And from that place, 
He had already been to court, and God had delivered him out of the mouth of the lions. He'd already been uh, to court. He thought he was going to die, and, and the Lord helped him. Most of the guys who served with him had gone other places, mostly for ministry purposes. Demas had forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. He had been worldly. He got caught up with the world and neglected to serve the Lord. Now Paul, some people believe he was around 60 to 65 years old. He wasn't an old man necessarily in our day and time, but he, has, he had put a lot of miles on himself. I think the man I, I probably would trust, it says that he probably was only 18 years from the time he left Antioch until his head was taken off in Rome. He didn't have a real long ministry as a missionary, but boy, did he do a lot. Because he let God do a lot through him. And Jesus was the focus of his life. He said, for me to live is Christ. He said, I am crucified with, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but. Boy, he said, when Christ, who's my life. I mean, he was thinking about Jesus. You can't hardly see three words, three, three verses he writes in the Bible without mentioning Jesus, God, Christ. Because it was on the tip of his tongue, because it was on the, it was on, his heart was full of him. He loved him. He loved the Lord, and God used him greatly. But now he is in jail, and, and um, he realizes his time is short. He says it like this. He says, um, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He goes, the time of my departure, it's at hand. It's, I'm not going to leave this jail. Just shortly, I'm going to go into eternity. And with that, he writes Timothy, his young protege, and he tells him, he goes, look, I'd like for you to do your diligence to come quickly to me. Come see me. And when you come, get John Mark. You know, it's interesting to me. John Mark was a fellow that had left them when he was uh, on the first missionary journey. And there was a lot of problems between John Mark's uncle Barnabas and Paul on their second journey. So much that their division was, was uh, so sharp they couldn't even work together. By the way, that's a good thing for us to learn. Great men are men at best. And great men have real problems. Stubbornness. They got habits they shouldn't do. They've got perspectives they have. They're not bad. God knows how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He knows how to work things out. But sometimes great men struggle. And these two men struggle. And uh, that's going to happen sometimes. That's why God doesn't tell us looking unto pastor. <laughs> he said, look unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. If you just serve God because of leaders in your life, you're going to quit. But at the end of his life, Paul knew one of the things that were very important is relationships. Rarely do you sit a man at his, at his bedside and, and uh, getting ready to go into eternity and say, boy, I wish I could have worked more. I wish I had done more overtime. They don't give a care about that. They're like, man, I wish I would have served the Lord more faithfully. I wish I would have not had that episode in my life. I wish I would have served God. I, I, I wish I'd been a better husband, a better father, a better wife, mother, whatever. They think about relationships. And Paul certainly, he even said, look, man, get that kid, John Mark. Get him over here with you. Pick him up and bring him because he's profitable to ministry. And I need to tell him that before I die. But he really just challenges Timothy 
In chapter 1, he gives him a personal challenge. He talks about his mom and his grandma. And he talks about his ordination and the gifts that God's given him. He tells him, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but sound mind, and of power and love and a sound mind. So I want you to use the gift God gave you. Don't be afraid. Come on. He challenges him in that way. He references a man named Onesiphorus, who was a great servant of Christ, who had visited Paul while he was in the jail in chapter 1. In chapter 2, where we are tonight, he's going to give him a practical, uh, a practical advice. Chapter 3, he's going to give him a perilous day advice. He's going to tell him, look, in the last day, perilous times will come. And you're going to need to figure this out with the 18 uh, to 20 different sins and symptoms of perilous days and difficult times. He says, you're going to need to, number one, have a good testimony. Number two, you're going to need to have endure some difficulties and Number three, keep going. Continue in the things. Don't quit. And he tells him, number three, four, you need to make sure you make much of the Bible. That's where we have the Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. He said, make sure you, you make much of the Bible. Boy, aren't you glad we have a full Bible today? Good song. I love the Bible that they just now say, I'm glad I need the Bible. And Paul didn't have all the Bible. He was still writing it for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was right through him, but he said, look, man, you got to make much of the Scriptures. In chapter 4, he gives him that parting challenge and tells him to preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, and, and it goes on to give him other challenges there. But in chapter 2, very strategically, he tells Timothy, and I think we can take this tonight, and young people in the Bible college, I hope you're listening, teenagers in the schools, I hope you're listening. Moms and dads, let's listen. Everybody, we can find things I think can be very helpful. As Paul, in his wisdom, a man who had spent time with Christ, knew what, what Timothy needed, it's what I need today and what you need, he tells him, number one, be strong. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, verse 1. The first thing he says, as a son, I want you to be strong in God's grace. Now, grace... A lot, of, a lot of different definitions. I think the definition of grace I like the most is God's supernatural help. It's when God helps you. He says, I want you to be strong in letting God help you. You want a life only God could explain. If you can explain it, if you say, well, I guess because he's so talented, or this because she's so pretty, or she's so smart, or she's just very good at that. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in that. I'd like to be able to do something in my life that only God could explain. It would be something that God did. It was God's grace upon my life. We're saved by grace, and grace not only saves us, but it sets up a classroom in our heart teaching us to deny God. And there are folks who believe that the grace of God means whatever you want to do, you can do it now because you're on your way to heaven. It's a radical grace movement. I'll never forget uh, a guy leaned across a, 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 a car for me one day, and he says, John, your problem is, man, you got too many rules. You just don't do this, and you don't do that. And he was a fellow colleague in ministry. He said, you just, he goes, man, you got to have grace, dude. Just have grace. And, and you can grace, and all you do is just love God and do whatever you want. You don't have to have all these do's and don'ts. But boy, that's not the grace that God tells us in Titus chapter 2. He said the grace of God that brings us salvation had appeared to all men. By the way, it's appeared to everybody. Everybody has a chance to get God's grace. And the Bible says 
But then it teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Grace doesn't just save me. It sets up a class in my heart and says, John, do this. Don't do that. Don't live worldly. It teaches me to live holy to the Lord. That's a biblical thing. In chapter 2, verse 1, the first thing out of the box, he says, listen, Timothy, be strong in God's help. That's what he gave you to teach. As a son, I want you to be strong. Number two, look at verse number two, if you would, please. And let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's read out loud together. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses to faithful men. I want you to be a multiplier. The second thing he tells you is, I, I want you to be a good son and be strong in God's grace. Be strong, but I want you to multiply what God's given you. There's no success without successors. He says, I want you to learn the things that I've taught you, and I want you to teach other people. The things which you've seen and heard, and you've been witnesses of in me. Now, take those things and pass them on to faithful men who will teach others also. One of the things I think is fundamental Baptists that we oftentimes fail because we've been very aggressive with soul winning and we should never stop being a soul winner. But many of us, we're, we can win someone to Christ, but we leave babies on the doorstep and we do not disciple our converts. It's been my sin and it's oftentimes it's, I don't think we should hold back on soul winning. Everywhere I go and everywhere you go, we ought to be looking for those who need the gospel and give it to them. Talk to someone long enough to find out if they're saved. It was amazing the other day. I was witnessing to a person. Actually, I wasn't listening to them first. I, I tried to, but I didn't think they were ready. And they just, I gave them a track. And it was this track right here. I gave them this, this, this uh, could change your life forever. And I was on an airplane. They were sitting over there. I said, I said, um, uh, I'd like to share this with you. This is God's Word that tells us how to be saved, how we can have eternal. The best day of my life, someone explained this to me. And they just took it, and they said, okay, well, thank you. And they put it, they put it in their book stack. I thought to myself, well, I'm not interested. I started talking to them a little bit more, and they were reluctant at first, and then they just stopped and said this. He said, I, I can't believe that you bring up Jesus with me. He goes, you're the fourth person to bring up Christ in like the last two weeks of my life. I said, you know, I know a lot more about him. Can I share it with you more? She said, I would like that. I took the Bible, showed her how to be saved, and Andrea accepted Jesus as her Savior. She manages a Chipotle in, in, uh, in St. Charles, Illinois. I think I'm going to go eat over there if I can ever get there. It's probably about 200 miles from here. But, uh, but she said, she said, I can't believe it, that you would, you, would, uh, you would talk to me about that. And this is, her track is already in her book sack. I thought she just blew me off. Instead, she says, you know, it's just really weird. Of all the people in this plane, I'd be sitting next to you, and you would give me something about Jesus. And, of course, she was glad to receive the Lord as her Savior. I think another blessing I had not too long ago, and just reminding us, to boy, to keep witnessing. But I, I had a person I've been asking to come for several years, over five years. I've been asking to come. I've been talking to him about the Lord and really just with no response of any positive interest. I've invited him to my house. I didn't come to my house. I invited him for meals, nothing. And then a week before Easter, I said to them, I said, look, I said, we're having a special day. He said, okay, we'll come. I said, what? 
I said, yeah, we'll come. What time is it? I said, six o'clock. He said, okay, we'll be there. I, we talked among ourselves, and we, we said, the next time you ask us, we'll come. So when is it, and what time? You know, just think about, just think, I wonder how many people, if you ask them one more time, if the Spirit of God would just let you one more time, they're waiting for you to ask them one more time. Spirit of God's done a lot of work. He sent some nutrients into their heart and some more sunshine of his love and some more problems and windstorms in their life. If you could just ask them one more time. as a lesson I'm learning in this. But boy, friends, we also need to train others. Train others. He said, take the things which you've learned and you've seen in me, and I want you to pass them on to other faithful men who can teach others also. Do you know the reason we don't do that? It's because it's a lot more work. It's not easy to have a baby, but it's easier to have a baby than it is to raise one. And some people, they're happy to have a baby. They're happy to get someone saved, but then you, can't, you don't even know their name. They don't even remember who they are, or we don't even follow up with them. And it's, I think it's grievous. Of Jesus, of all the things he did, he came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. But there's another thing he did. If he hadn't have done it, we wouldn't be standing around looking at each other tonight, and you wouldn't be watching online. And that is he trained 12. If he did not train the 12, we wouldn't be here. Because it was through his training of others they did that. And I want to encourage you, get a passion to say, less. I want to be a passionate soul winner, but I also want to be passionate winning and discipling others. And taking the things that I know and passing on to somebody else. If you know how, and sometimes you get somebody who's so insecure, they don't want anyone else to know what they do. But you're a flower of your family, a blooming idiot. Don't do that. If you know how to do something in the work of the Lord, teach someone else to do that thing. If you know how to be a bus captain, help make another bus captain. If you know how to do the cameras, teach someone else to do the cameras. Get someone else to do that with you. If you know how to go soul winning, take somebody else soul winning. If you know how to disciple somebody, disciple somebody with somebody else. I know it's more work. But Paul understood what Jesus understood is that you got to take what you've learned, pass on to someone else so they can pass on to someone else so that whenever we're dead and gone, someone else is still going. Nothing more frustrating to me than to find some people that are that at the end of their ministry, like, hey, get someone else to drive this bus. Well, you get someone else to drive that bus. Well, you know, hey, Pastor, can you send someone? I'm old and retired. Can you send me a Timothy so they can take over my church? It's way too late for that. That ought to be done while we're ministering. I thank God for Hiles Anderson College, but it's not here to replace everyone in Christianity. It's way too big for that. But I tell you where, where strong leaders are, are made, they're made in discipleship. You disciple people, and you'll be amazed what God will do with those people. And oftentimes, they far uh, excel what you and I could do. I have people that have had the joy to disciple that can do far greater exploits and reach the kind of people that I would never be able to reach. I've discipled people that have other, they know other languages. They know English, and they know other languages. And they can reach people that I could never reach. 
I spent hours and hours sitting and talking to people. One of my friends, his name is Igbal Singh, call him Bali. He was a, owned an Indian restaurant. Now he's a pastor in India. Now he started a church in his house. And COVID shut down his other church. He said, I'll just start and teach the Bible. So you're still teaching the Bible? Yes, I am. Pray for me. And he's winning people to Christ. And when he tells me he wins someone to Christ, he never says, oh, I, I want someone to Christ. He goes, now my friend in Jesus. And now they got baptized. Now, now they're in Jesus. I love to hear that. Well, I can't speak pen job. I can't even speak English very well. But you know, all those hours and hours of him saying, where are you now? Come to my restaurant. I need to talk to you. You know, and he's like, tell me about Lukey. I said, Luke? Yeah, Lukey, my language. Okay, okay, Luke. <laughs> For many times you say, oh, now New Testament, very, very easy. Old Testament, little bit hard. <laughs> say, where were you reading last night? Reading Ezekiel. Oh, Ezekiel, he's kind of weird. <laughs> said, I know, but he was a prophet trying to do an illustration for God's people. He goes, I'm glad I'm not Ezekiel. I know you. <laughs> but listen to him, and now to know that he's pastoring people and loving people. But that's not done on spare time and pocket change. That's not done casually. That takes time and effort. And raising babies, they throw up on you. They throw fits. They get aggravated. They go through times of sickness and times where it's the night, it's the, it's, the, it's the midnight calls. But it's worth it because they mature and they do things that you would never do. He says, listen, be strong in the grace of God and then be a teacher. Take the things that you've learned and pass them on to other people. Look at verse number three, would you please? Thou therefore... He's introducing another illustration. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he tells him to pass on the things he's learned, to be strong in grace, but he says, now endure hardness like a good soldier. Be endure. You know, this is a little bit thing here. Let's look at verse number four. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, but he may please him who hath chosen to be a soldier. The Bible tells us this next one, Paul says, is that, look, be strong in God's grace. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own strength. Don't do it your way. Do it God's way and let his strength help you. And then take the things you've learned and pass them on to faithful men who can be able to teach others also. And now he says, now I want you to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, not getting entangled with the affairs of this life, but to please him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. Some beautiful language there, but, you know, enduring hardness is not something I like. I don't know this, but I think I'm allergic to pain. <laughs> Anything that's hard, I don't want to do it. If it hurts, get me out of that. Transition me out of problems rather than transform me through them. But God says, I want you to endure hardness, and then may I say this, without being hard. Some folks, they go through hard times, and they just make everything hard on everybody else. Don't talk to grandpa. You know how he is. We don't know whether to pucker or duck, hug or hide. Well, I just had a lot of burdens. Well, listen, endure the hardness without getting hard, without, without being a poochy mouth, without complaining and telling people how hard it is to be you. 
Endure hardness as a good soldier. And good soldiers, several things about soldiers I admire. Number one, they're strong. Number two, they're simple. Soldiers do not bring the entertainment center to Baghdad, Iraq. They don't bring all their model toys. They don't bring their Nintendo sets. All they do is they take on that plane what they need to get in there, get the job done, and get out. And we need a warfare mentality. We need to have this simplicity. We get caught up with stuff. I had that problem, you had that problem. The longer you live, it seems like we put more stuff. We'll put a $20,000 automobile on the street and put $250 worth of garage sale stuff in the, in the garage. And we keep putting more and more stuff in there, more and more stuff. We get all we can, can all we get, sit in our can and try to talk about how much we have in our can. And when we really need to learn to live, simplify a little bit. Possessions will possess us. They'll overwhelm us. And then we get caught up and entangled with the affairs of this life. And then we, we lose our focus on pleasing the one who has chosen us to be a soldier. All of us need to ask ourselves, when is enough enough? Especially those of us who have a little bit more of our life in front of us. Excuse me, behind us and in front of us. I know, and I admire so much these younger, these younger families. And I remember what it was like to be a younger family. Linda's still young, and I'm, I'm a little older. But boy, I remember those hard days where, I mean, you know, combo meals were just out of the, it's always the $1 menu. We didn't eat regularly. We just, at, at, at out restaurant, maybe once a week or so. Now things are a little bit different. We're a little more loosey-goosey. Lacey's got it made. The baby, spoiled little brat. No, nah, I'm just joking. But the older kid's like, Dad, you're giving too much to Lacey. She never gets a spanking and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> She's getting away with murder. You would just really tear me up, you know. I tell my kids, I'm not a rock star, but I could be the king of pop. Whack, you know. <laughs> we need to, but you know, the truth of the matter is, some of us who God has blessed us now, those, those hard years, just, some of those things aren't, aren't, aren't that hard anymore. They used to be. I remember living over here in Greenbrier. How many know where Greenbrier is? How many do not know where Greenbrier is? You're probably missing about 25% of your life. You've got to go by there. When you go by there, put your hand over your heart. Salute the railroad tracks. I, mean, I, I stayed that first night there, and about four trains went by. I said, how in the world do people sleep here? Then about two weeks later, I didn't even remember the trains come by. <laughs> didn't pay attention to that. But I remember, man, Linda and I, we were, she was going to school her last year. I was working at City Baptist, making an unbelievable amount of money in more ways than you can ever imagine. And uh, painting, painting uh, attorney offices downtown Chicago and uh, trying to be a bus captain in Canaryville on the south side of Chicago and working with that every weekend. I was just going and blowing. But... Uh, it was so funny because we didn't have two nickels running together. We were trying to, Linda would work at Denny's and she would come home with her, with her tips and we're like, oh, good. And then they would give her the extra pies. So now we're just eating pies about going to a diabetic issues, you know. <laughs> and we didn't have anything in the fridge, but I found this guy. He was selling a three-gallon a can of mint chocolate chip ice cream. 
And it was nice. It was like from, was like from Baskin Robbins or, or something of that nature. And he's like, yeah, I got a whole thing. I said, man, how much is it? I'm like, I don't know, $10. It's okay. And then, I, and then I thought to myself, I gave my last $10 for this ice cream. And so when you go to her house, there's no food. There's just a big thing of ice cream in the top there. And Linda said, John, why did you get the ice cream? I said, oh, it was a good deal, you know. I, I, I didn't know. I was like, man, are you hungry? Yeah, you want some ice cream? <laughs> it was terrible. Boy, as you get closer to the end of life, though, God gives you some stability. But you need to also understand, I was talking to a precious lady. I was sitting in her very beautiful place the other day. And she just said to me, and she lives in another state, and she said to me, I never knew I would be 90. And I've got to figure out what to do with my stuff. And you know what? She waited too long, in my opinion. Unless she really gets with it. She's going to turn it over to, a, to, to lawyers to fight and haggle and who's getting what. We'll go into probate and work on that. And the things that God gave her, she didn't matriculate it. Didn't get it into, into, into circulation. That's why James says in James chapter 5, you rich men, weep and howl for the misery that's going to come upon you. Why? Because your clothes are moth-eaten. Well, moths don't follow us in the auditorium. Moths are in a closet where clothes have not been worn in a while. And you can't hardly move another thing to put it in there. They're just so packed. And that's where they, that's where they, they, they didn't, you could have been put them into circulation, but instead you just kept all your clothes rather than let somebody else use them. And your gold and your silver are, ma are cankered. Oh, you've protected them and you have them and boy, but they're green. They're aging. All you're doing is sitting on a bunch of collection of things when you could have been using it for the glory of God and and even the people you pay, you're paying them less than what you should pay them. And their cries have come up to the Lord of Sabbath. And you've lived for pleasure like, a, like an ox that's fattened for slaughter. And just all, it's just the next party, the next trip, the next thing I need to get from me. He said, boy, remember that you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by how you give. He said, a soldier is strong. A soldier is simple. And I, don't, I, want, I think the sh if the shoe fits, you wear it. Not everybody this is a matter to. Many of you are extremely generous, and you're very giving, and God's giving you a simplicity. Others of us, we just can't get enough. We just want to get more and more and more without letting ourselves be a funnel. We want to be a bucket. Instead of being a channel, we want to be a can, and we want to make sure that we get everything in our can, and we waste our hours and our days, and our years, and our decades of our life trying to pack a can that's going to stay here after we go to heaven. And it's not going to be used for the kingdom of God. He said, don't get entangled with the affairs of life, but keep your mind focused on pleasing him who's put you into the army.